Thank you, choir, Mulkey, Patty. That's a beautiful song. The only other time I had heard it was when Willie Nelson sang it, and I thought maybe he wrote it. I should have known better. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this place, this space where we have gathered together. We ask that you create in us a space, a space for your spirit to to come in, to move, to instruct, to lead us and guide us. We ask for your blessing during this time. As we hear your word read, as we allow those words to penetrate our hearts, we ask that you illuminate us, illuminate our understanding, so that we can hear your voice in the words that are spoken and read today. Bless this time that we have in your presence and in the presence of each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 6 through 21. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we've been going through this book of Romans, and it's been uh, several weeks now that we've been studying uh, the themes of Romans and what Paul had to say to the church there in Rome, and uh, and as we've been doing it, we've we've been talking a lot about justification, about how it's it's grace that saves us, it's our faith that saves us, and then we talk about sanctification, how that faith or that that 
receiving that grace should produce works of righteousness, uh, not because that's what's being used to um, to earn our way into heaven or into God's favor, but but because that sort of acts as as proof, as evidence that our uh, salvation was sincere and that it was real. Um, there is a, uh, a question that I've been asked a few times. It was asked uh, again this week about, well, what about those who make a, uh, a confession of faith uh, later in life, or maybe a deathbed confession? Um, they don't have time for, for the process of sanctification to be, to be changed and to be moved on towards perfection in this life. What about them? Are they still saved even though it was in the last few moments of their life that they, they received the grace uh, offered through Jesus Christ? And the answer is, uh, uh, if, if their faith was sincere, if they sincerely professed, then yes, they received that justification. Sanctification is not how we earn grace. It's not how we earn eternal life. Sanctification is merely the evidence that points back at that moment of justification and authenticates it. Uh, so so the, these are themes that we've been looking at and discussing throughout Romans. And, and, and so far, up until now, it's all been very personal. It's all been very uh, individual, even talking about this, even talking about deathbed confessions or, or last-minute professions of faith and, and things like that. But, but Paul kind of shifts here uh, in, in this section of the book. Until now, he's been saying things like all have sinned, and, and we've, been, we've been going right along with him, talking about we all are individual sinners, we all fall short, we all start over here on this side of the gulf that separates us between, between God, uh, us and God because of our sin. And so we all have this individual baggage, this individual sin, and we all have to come through uh, faith. We all have to receive grace as individuals. It's a personal choice. And we all have to make this journey of faith on to sanctification. But Paul here starts to talk about the journey that we make is made together. And we are sanctified with each other as we are all making the journey uh, walking stride for stride along with each other. And we began talking about this just a little bit last week when we talked about being grafted in. Remember, we were talking about Israel and, and our faith grafts us as the church into the nation of Israel. We inherit the promises, the heritage, uh, the hope, all of those things that God had given to the nation of Israel, we inherit once we uh, profess our faith and we are grafted into that, that rich heritage. But we're talking about a, a corporate level here. We are talking about community. We are talking about a nation. We're talking about a new nation, a spiritual nation. We are talking about the church. And so what we see is that even though our own choices to, to follow Christ, to surrender ourselves, to, um, to receive grace, those are individual choices, we come together as a body, as a group of believers. And, and, and we do that recognizing that we have all had the same experience. We have all had the same event change us or shape us. And that is the event where we receive God's grace. And that event, once we receive it, the, the, the reaction should be the same for all of us. 
Once we receive and we recognize God's grace and God's love, we should all be directed uh, to, to where we live our lives in grace and in love. And if we all experience that grace and love, then we should all be echoing that grace and love to each other here in the church. We should all be reflecting it to each other because we've all experienced the same life-changing, life-altering event. Now, if if, uh, you want evidence of of how an event can change the behavior of a broad group of people, uh, just think back to uh, September 11th, 2001. That was an event that all Americans uh, who, who were alive then witnessed and experienced, and it was an event, if you remember, that, um, that, that really kind of brought the nation together in a lot of ways. I remember noticing in, in the, the aftermath of that event that, that people sort of rallied around each other uh, a lot more. People were a lot friendlier. You would go to a grocery store and someone would hold the door open just a, a, a few seconds longer than they normally would for someone coming in. And there was all of this, uh, this, this unity among Americans in the aftermath of September 11th. Now, unfortunately, there was kind of a, um, a, a pendulum effect where I, I guess people got tired of being nice to each other and got so tired of it that it swung the opposite way. And now people are probably more hostile or just as hostile as, as ever, uh, as if that all of that kindness just uh, wore them out. They got burnt out on it. Uh, unfortunately, the event that we experience when we uh, come into the fold with Christ, when we receive his grace, is, uh, is a lasting event. It's a permanent event. It's not like the, uh, the tragedy that was 9-11 where it might change us all for uh, a little while temporarily and then we go back to being the way we were. Grace, when it is authentic, uh, authentically received, when we come into the fellowship that, that Christ offers us, it changes us forever. We are constantly renewed and revived. And so the way we treat each other as having all experienced that should be constant. It should be something that is ever growing and changing. And, 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 and that's what makes the church vital, is that we are all constantly growing and sharing that grace and that love with each other. But it has to be selfless. And that's the heart of what Paul is saying here, that love has to be selfless. He says, let love be genuine. Some translations say, let love be sincere. And you could say that the the love Americans were feeling for each other in the aftermath of 9-11 might not have been sincere. It might have been an emotional reaction or an emotional response, but it wasn't sincere love. The love we receive from Christ is sincere. And And if we receive that love, we realize that it's a selfless Love, And so if we are selflessly loving each other, what we are actually doing is we are surrendering ourselves for the good of Christ, his mission on earth, and for his church, which is his body. Now, most religions uh, talk about the idea of ego death or self-death, where you surrender yourself to become part of, of something else. And, uh, and, and that's, you see that in, in, in all kinds of religions, Eastern religions, mystic religions. But Christianity is the only religion that talks about surrendering yourself, dying to yourself, so that you can be replaced with Christ. 
that you become less so that he can become more, so that you sacrifice yourself so that he can live in you. And, and so when we do this on an individual level, it's powerful. But then when we come together as a group of people and one by one, we are all surrendering our own needs and desires and our selfish wants for the will of Christ. When a group of people are all making that individual decision, but they are making it uh, together, then that is the body of Christ. Because Christ is coming alive in this person, and in this person, and in that person all at once, and then they are uniting, and that is how Christ acts in our world. That's why we call the church the body of Christ. When we come together, when we recognize His grace, when we recognize the gifts He's given us, and we surrender ourselves, and we all come together in that way, He comes alive in amazing ways. That is the body of Christ in the world. And that's the ultimate image of teamwork. Um, I don't know how many of you have, have been on a team, if you played sports uh, at some point in your life, or if you've been in the workplace where maybe you were part of a team that had a goal that you were working towards. If you've ever been on a team of any type, you know that a team cannot center around one person and their agenda. The team has to have a common goal that they work towards, and they all have to come together, and they all have to make sacrifices for each other. And if you don't believe that's true, all you have to do is look at the Atlanta Braves. Back in the 1980s, they built their team around Dale Murphy. He was the superstar. People came to see Dale Murphy play, and he was great. But the team was horrible. And when they traded Dale Murphy in, I guess, about 1990, uh, they decided that they would uh, address the needs in several different positions. And what wound up happening was they assembled a team that was good across the board. They worked together. They, They weren't focused. They weren't centered around one person. And, uh, and, and so for the next 14, 15 years, the Braves were, were great. They, were, they won their division uh, 14 years in a row. They were, they were always in the, the conversation uh, for a World Series appearance. And, and it's because they, they were founded on teamwork, on everybody, not, not one individual. They didn't have just one great pitcher. They had Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and Steve Avery and John Smoltz. They had all of these. I remember there was one year where almost their, their entire starting lineup made the all-star team. That was teamwork. They weren't focused on one individual getting all the credit and all the glory. The church has to work the same way. The church cannot depend on on one person or one small group of people or one committee. The church has to all come together and recognize uh, what, what it is that each person can offer. And that's why uh, Paul is, is, is talking about let your love be genuine. Because if your love is genuine, you're going to be selfless. You're going to recognize that you have to give of yourself for the needs of others, for the needs of the church, and for the needs of Christ. Now, I'm, I'm talking about all of this, and, and at the beginning of the passage was the, the list of the spiritual gifts. Uh, this, this sermon is kind of serving as, as a backdoor pilot to our Wednesday night series that begins in a couple weeks in September. In, in that, uh, that series, we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts, 
how we can identify them, how we can see which ones we have, and how we can use them. Uh, a backdoor pilot, and if, if you're familiar with how television shows work, it's, there's usually a pilot episode. The network will air it. You become sort of familiar with the characters, the, the basic plot, and, and the network will choose whether or not to pick up the series based on uh, the, the strength of the pilot. Well, sometimes you have a TV show that's a spinoff from another TV show, much like Gomer Pyle, USMC, was a spinoff from The Andy Griffith Show. And when you have that, a lot of times what they'll do is that the pilot show for that second show will be an episode of the first show, and they call that a backdoor pilot. So I want you to know that right now, this is a backdoor pilot. You are in a backdoor pilot in, in this service today for our Wednesday night uh, lessons coming up in, when, uh, in September. And I just want to encourage you and invite you to be here for that because it's so important, especially here in the next month as the nominations committee meets and decides uh, what we're going to do, who we're going to appoint in positions of leadership to serve on the various committees. It's important for you to know what your own strengths are, what your own spiritual gifts are, and how they can be used for the church because that's the process of sanctification. It's coming into the church and knowing you have a gift. You have a way to be a part of the body of Christ. Let's figure out what it is. Let's figure out how we can use it. Um, Gifts are best used when they are given back. Jesus told the parable of the man who had the talents. He gave each of his workers some talents And he said, I'm coming back to see what you've done with this. The one who hoarded it, who didn't do anything with it except bury it and keep it safe, he had it taken away from him. The one who invested it and used it wisely was the one who was blessed the most. And and when God gives us gifts, spiritual gifts, and he gives all of us gifts, every one of us, if we step into that umbrella of grace, he gives us some type of gift, whether it's teaching, whether it's mercy, whether it's exhortation, whatever it is, he gives us all a gift. And he gives it with the intent of that, that we're going to use it, that we're going to give back with that gift. A great example of, of this, of recognizing a gift and recognizing how it can be used for a much greater good, is, is found in the Gospel of Luke. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke, chapter 1. And, and since it's a Gospel, and since it's at the beginning of the Gospel, you know that this probably has something to do with the birth of Jesus. But in chapter 1, starting at verse 46, we have this, uh, this song, this, this hymn that Mary sings. We call it the Song of Mary. Sometimes it's called the Magnificat. It's uh, Mary's song of praise uh, upon uh, discovering that she is with child and the child that she is going to have is going to be the Savior of the world. And so beginning at verse 46, this is Mary's praise. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his holy and holy is his name. So right here at the beginning, Mary is recognizing, I have been blessed. 
God has done something wonderful for me. And that's when we, when we receive Christ, just as Mary received Christ into her womb, when we receive Christ into our hearts, we recognize God has done something wonderful for us. But then Mary goes on, uh, picking up in verse 50, she says, His mercy is for those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So just to be clear, Mary has started off saying, God has blessed me. He has done a wonderful thing for me. And through this, he is going to bless Israel. He's going to remember his promises to our ancestors. He's going to, to strike down the, the rich oppressors, the, the wicked oppressors, and he's going to lift up the poor and needy. God is going to do amazing things in the world, among the nations, because of this blessing that has been given to me. That is a healthy perspective for all of us to have. When we step into grace, when we receive Christ through faith, to realize God has blessed me. He has done a wonderful thing for me. But this can be used to benefit so many people. Because you see, when we just say, all right, I've got my salvation. I've received my grace. God has done a great thing for me. And then that's it. It doesn't go anywhere else. What happens is we become jaded. And we become like the man who buried his talent. He didn't use it. And eventually it's taken away from him. And, and, then we, and then we see that our faith was probably never really authentic in the first place. Because it was all selfish. And we're talking about selflessness here. And so for us to be like Mary, to become like Mary, where we say, God has blessed us, and through this blessing, he's going to bless others. What would that look like for us? What would that look like for the church? For us each to say, God has done something wonderful in my life. And now he's going to use that blessing that he's given me. And he's going to change the people around me. He's going to change the people in the church because of the way he blessed me. He's going to change the people in my workplace. He's going to change the people in Buena Vista that I come in contact with. Because of the way that he has blessed me. And he has changed me. That's what it means when we say, not I, but Christ. It is, it is an act of total surrender. Not so that we can become elevated and, and, and exalted and all, but so that we can become a part of his body. And Christ can reign in us, through us, and in the world all around us. Grace brings transformation on the individual level. But if we're truly transformed, we will lose ourselves. We will die to ourselves. We will sacrifice the whims and the petty selfish desires that are often buried deep within ourselves. We'll instead become a part of something much greater. A forever new and regenerating creation called the church. Just as Christ makes us a new creation, the church is constantly becoming a new creation. Because it is always changing. It is always receiving new members. It is always uh, growing in love.
through its members and the way they express that to each other. Remember, we're on a path of sanctification and the church, the body as a whole, is sanctified when we as people are sanctified together. Let us pray. Lord, we cannot thank you enough for the ways in which you have shown your mercy and your love to us, the way you extend your grace to us. You have blessed us richly. But Lord, never let us sit on that blessing. Never let us hoard that grace for ourselves. But instead, let us fully surrender and die to ourselves so that we can become a a part of your body and that the people all around us will be blessed because of the work that you are doing in us. Strengthen us in our faith. Strengthen us in our walk and our sanctification. But strengthen us as a body of believers. Strengthen us as a church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.